Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. God is still on the throne, and prayer changes things. All this month, we're revisiting your favorite programs from this past year. This week, we look at Heaven and Hell from longtime ministry president David Weber. Dr. Kenneth Hill will explore the prayers of the ancients. Pastor Larry reveals details on COVID's needless deaths. And today, Rob Linstead begins a powerful study of the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Thank you for being here today. Christmas is almost here, the time of remembering and celebrating Christ coming to earth as a baby. Of course, he didn't stay a baby. He grew up and gave his life for you and me on the cross. Dr. Rob Linstead comes now to talk about the power of the cross. Joining me to talk about the cross of Christ is Dr. Robert Linstead. Dr. Linstead has a Ph.D. in mechanical engineering, and he taught for nine years in the Department of Mechanical Engineering at Wichita State University in Wichita, Kansas. Since leaving WSU in 1979, he has been devoted full-time to the Lord's work. Dr. Linstead has spoken at numerous Bible conferences, prophecy conferences, and at youth camps in over 35 states, as well as in Canada, Scotland, Jamaica, and the Bahamas. Dr. Linstead takes a special interest in working with young people and he is the executive director of Sunrise Christian Academy in Wichita. He's the author of several books, including the one that we're going to talk about today, The Power of the Cross. Dr. Lynn said, welcome back to The Watchman on the Wall. Thanks, James. It's so good to be back with you guys there at Southwest Radio Church. Would you share your testimony? How did you come to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ? James, I had the privilege of growing up in a Christian home. My father was an evangelist, and I knew... By his commitment to Christ, he came to know the Lord from a family that lived in Chicago. They weren't churchgoers, and by the grace of God, he was saved as he played a trumpet at a revival meeting. And from that moment on, he lived Christ, and he and my mother were the best examples of Christianity that I could ever have hoped for. And so I knew that the gospel was real because I saw he was a very bright man, and I saw his dedication to the scripture. I saw his zeal for winning souls. And one night, he and a preaching partner that he had, they were preaching here in Wichita, Kansas, and they preached heaven beautiful, and they preached hell hot. Yes, sir. And I knew enough about the Bible that I knew that those things were real. Mm-hmm. But I also knew that I'd never personally received Christ as my Savior. And so I went out and talked to my father that night, and he used John three thirty six: He that hath the Son has life. Mm-hmm. And he that has not the Son of God shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. And my father said, there's only two parts of that verse, and you're in one or the other. I said, wow, Dad, I'm, I'm the part that doesn't have life. And so he simply went through the gospel, and I suddenly saw that, you know, what I was missing, I believed in Jesus, I believed that he died, I believed that he rose again, but I'd never personally accepted the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for my sin. Hmm. I was a sinner. I'm still a sinner, but by God's grace, Jesus paid the debt of my sin, and that night I saw it, and I received him, and that was it for me. And from that point on, I've enjoyed knowing that my sins are forgiven by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Well, I always love to hear how men of God got called to the ministry. How did God call you to preach the gospel? I was working at IBM, 
in the research division on the East Coast. And the more I studied Scripture, and it was during a time when Israel was very much in the news, I was talking to my father on the phone, and I just said, Wow, Dad, if these things are coming true, just like the Bible says, it means that we could be at the very time when Christ is coming back. And my father said, You know, that's exactly right. And the more I thought about earning a living as a research engineer, and don't get me wrong, I love engineering, I love math, I still teach the calculus classes here at Sunrise Christian Academy. But what I loved more was the fact that that I knew that I was going to live in heaven, and I knew that the Bible promised that, that never had entered into my mind all the wonderful things there, and never had it entered into my mind what Christ was going to show me in heaven. And the more I thought about the fact that I might be alive when Christ was coming back, I thought, wow, that's more exciting than anything else I could do. And so I decided to leave IBM and the research center there, come back and begin to teach because I knew at the university teaching there, I would have access to so many students. And I knew that many of those students are searching for meaning to life. Some of them from America, some from other countries. And I really began to fall in love with the international students because I saw that they were searching. They didn't find what they wanted in their country. And I knew they wouldn't find what they wanted in our country because you can never satisfy your soul until you come to Christ. Mm-hmm. And so my wife and I decided that that would become our mission field. And so we went back to teach and to try to work with young people. Well, Dr. Lynn said, I'm excited about your book, The Power of the Cross. My wife and I both read the book, and we were really blessed by it. How did you come to write The Power of the Cross? I was doing a series at the local church that I was attending. It started out with one or two messages on the sayings of Christ from the cross. Those sayings of Christ from the cross, every time a person studies those simple sayings, I mean, they're just phrases, but it showed several things. It showed the love of God. Mm-hmm. And it showed the plan of God, and it showed the total price, the huge price that God allowed Jesus to pay for the salvation of any and every soul. And so I wasn't planning to do all seven, but by the time I was done, I'd done all seven. And then I began to think, wow, there's some other things concerning the crucifixion, because there was such a paradox. You know, people thought, okay, some religions almost feel sorry for Jesus on the cross. Mm-hmm. He was the victor. On the cross, he was the victor. And I saw the majesty that he displayed on the cross. And I saw that the whole thing was crowned by the resurrection from the dead. No religion can compete with what we have in Christianity. But the pivotal point in all of humanity's history is the cross. Because there, a holy God in a sinful man could be reconciled. The birth of Jesus Christ gets a month or two months' worth of messages in a lot of churches, but only one come Resurrection Sunday. Why do you think the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ has been so downplayed today? There was a time, James, when I almost didn't celebrate Christmas, and I've converted. I celebrate Christmas now. Part of it is because I found some things as I traveled to Israel, and It was the idea that he was born not in a stable like we know, like in a barn. People have a picture as a barn, but it was probably in a cave. It was the lowest thing. And I began to connect the scene of the shepherds, and they were in the Megdali Dars. Mm -hmm. And and maybe we can do that series sometime on Southwest, because it changed my whole thinking on Christmas. But here's the thing. He could have been born. He could have been a great preacher. He could have been a great healer and a great 
supplier of food, but there was something that we had that was a bigger problem. The bigger problem was my sin. Mm-hmm. And I just felt like, I think Satan doesn't mind if we celebrate the birth of Christ. Right. But he doesn't want us to celebrate the victory at the cross and the Amen, victory yeah. at the tomb. And so, really, the virgin birth is a part of the gospel. It's an important part of the gospel. We're not diminishing that, but you see, that's not the whole story. Mm-hmm. The whole story is on the cross. When he cries out, it is finished. Wow, there's the story. And when they go three days later and they look at the tomb, it's empty. Amen. There's the story. And so I think Satan, he wants us to believe in Jesus. That doesn't affect him. But he just doesn't want us to accept Christ as Savior. They accept him as the Lord of our life. That's what roused the devil up. And so I think the complete story is the birth, the death, the resurrection of Christ. In 1 Corinthians 15, it says, here's the gospel. And it talks about the fact that according to the scripture, this was an unscripted. Mm-hmm. No, God the Father inspired the scripture through the Holy Spirit. And he said, these are the things that will occur. And Jesus Christ on the cross fulfilled one after another after another to prove beyond the shadow of a doubt that this was a plan orchestrated by God from eternity past, and it had present consequences. It forgave my sin. It has future consequences. I'm saved for eternity. I'm going to be with Jesus Christ in heaven above. If you're just joining us today on The Watchman on the Wall, my guest is Dr. Rob Linstead, his book, The Power of the Cross. You can get a copy now by calling 1-800-652-1144, or you can order online at swrc.com. Dr. Linstead, you had mentioned the seven sayings from the cross. The first half of the book, The Power of the Cross, focuses on those seven sayings. You mentioned that they're very, very significant, but you write that the seven sayings had their source in the Old Testament. In other words, the seven sayings were fulfilled prophecy. Would you elaborate on that? That's what's so neat about the script that God provided for our salvation. To really appreciate those sayings, they're all bedded, as you mentioned, in the Old Testament. In other words, God predicted years ahead of time, this is what the Messiah would do. There's no doubt he's the Messiah. When you see these seven saints from the cross, and you see how they're embedded in the Old Testament, he's the one. We're not looking for another one. We haven't missed one that came before. He's the very one. And so these saints are are so important, for example. Father, forgive them. Now, to me, what's incredible, he said that when he's on the cross. Mm -hmm. From time to time, you know, people will say something critical of you, or they'll insult you, and sometimes we deserve it. Sometimes we don't, but sometimes it takes us years. It may take us a lifetime to forgive people. Here's Jesus, no sin of his own, on the cross bearing my sin, my horrible sin, my sin that was bad enough to send me to hell. He's bearing it. He's taking my place, and they're crucifying him, and as they're driving the nails in his hands and his feet, and as they're brutalizing him, he says, Father, forgive him. Mm. He didn't have to wait. A day. He didn't have to wait a month. No. He was willing to forgive him right then. Those people at the cross doing that horrible deed, already he was forgiving them, and he would ask God to forgive them in view of his death and his sacrifice. Only God could do that. Only God could. That's not what we as men do. We hold our grudges, 
And so to me, that's just one of the examples. I think of another one where he cries, I thirst. Mm-hmm. This is the living water. This is the person that gave water to the woman at the well that was a horrible sinner. And by the time he's done, he not only gives her living water, but he gives her spiritual living water that would change her life. And he's the one that invented H2O. He's the one that made oceans and rivers. And this person on the cross bearing my sin, he says, I thirst. And really, James, that's only half the story. Here's another part of the story that, to me, just goes beyond belief. Do you know that a Roman soldier, every Roman soldier has two things that's personally his. One is his sword. Mm-hmm. It's measured and weighed for his hand. And the other is a sponge. And this is a pretty graphic thing. And Because, you see, the Roman soldiers, they went so many places. And hygiene was such an important thing. And so they ran... They took a sponge, they put it to his mouth. Do you know what that sponge was used for? Mm. That sponge was used to, to clean the debris from the body. Right. I can't even imagine me as a person having a defiled sponge put to my mouth. Can you imagine the creator of the universe, the one who had mm. no sin, bearing that? Why did he do that? He did it for me. That's how horrible my sin was. Mm. And so this whole scene at the cross... These sayings of the cross, they show that he's God. He's the living God of the universe. He's the creator of God. He's the savior of every person who would come to him and say, Lord God, I'm short of your standard. And they would know that Christ's blood was sufficient payment before a holy God to completely save them from their sin. Well, Dr. Lindstedt, you mentioned there, Father, forgive them, the first saying from the cross. The second saying from the cross is when Jesus said, Verily I say unto thee, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. He said that to a thief that was crucified next to him. Would you unpack that verse for us? Yeah, that's a wonderful saying because a couple things. Number one, think about the first Adam, the Adam of Garden of Eden. And that Adam, by his sin, lost paradise. And he and his wife became thieves. They stole fruit from God's tree that was not allowed for them. And now here's the last Adam. Here's Jesus. And you know what he does? On the cross, he promises paradise to a thief. Mm -hmm. And so everything that we failed at, that Adam and Eve failed at, and we as men and women fail at, Christ on the cross puts it together. He makes it so that he can promise it. Here's what I like about that. What could that thief do to merit salvation? Nothing. His feet, his hands were nailed there. He couldn't be baptized to be saved. He couldn't go out and do good works to be saved. No. The only thing he could do, he could look at a man that had been cursed, that had been brutalized. He could look at him and say, you know what, this really is the Son of God. He could believe what he had heard Jesus say, that he was willing to forgive sins of anyone who would believe in him. And that thief on the cross, no other way to respond other than to put his trust in him. And Jesus said, this day you'll be with me in paradise. That's about the best guarantee a dying man could ever have. Amen. Well, Jesus also teaches us something about the importance of human relationships in the third saying from the cross. And we find that in John chapter 19, verses 26 and 27. There we read, when Jesus therefore saw his mother 
and the disciples standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour the disciple took her into his own home. So on the cross when the Lord was dying and agonizing death, he made sure that his mother would be looked after. What are your thoughts on that passage, Dr. Lindstedt? To me, the amazing thing is this. You would think when a man is there dying a horrible death, suffering in agony, he would be concerned for himself. Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, many people, most of the people that were crucified, they were cursing at the people that were doing this deadly deed. But the Lord Jesus knew his concern, even on the cross, was for others, for his mother, to make sure that she was taken care of because she was a faithful follower of him. Mm-hmm. And so the human relationship did not end, did not stop those fulfilled with him on the cross his tenderness, his care. To me, that's touching because, you know, we can go from one ditch to another. We can say those human relationships aren't important. No, they're very important. Jesus demonstrates how important that is because he makes sure that she's provided for in a physical way while he is taking care of her in a spiritual way. Mary had to accept Christ as her Savior too. Mm -hmm. This one that was born from her, this one that was part of her, She still had to accept the fact that he was a sinless son of God, virgin-born, and she had to accept him as her personal savior, but he never left that beautiful human relationship, and so he provided for her in a very wonderful, unique way. Well, Dr. Lindstedt, next time, I'd like to continue talking with you about the seven sayings from the cross and talk about the significance of the resurrection. I want to thank you again for being on the program with me today. My pleasure. I look forward to tomorrow. We have more from Rob Linstead on the power of the cross on tomorrow's Watchman on the Wall program. Rob Linstead's book, The Power of the Cross, is available today. In this powerful book, Dr. Linstead pours through the Word of God and teaches the details of the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. What really happened at the trial of Jesus? What was the significance of the seven sayings from the cross? Did the crucifixion make Jesus a victim or a victor? And why is the resurrection completely unique to Christianity? Dr. Rob Linstead answers these questions and much, much more in The Power of the Cross. Order copies for you, your church, and your family. The Power of the Cross. 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Or you can order online swrc.com. Right now, we have a studio full of folks ready to give us a preview of the latest exciting Prophecy in the News magazine, which is out right now. Hi, this is Kenneth Hill. I'm president of our organization that oversees the Prophecy in the News magazine. I guess that makes me publisher of the magazine as things go around. It seems that way. Yes, sir. We are excited because this magazine is unusual. Not just this one month, but (laughs) this magazine is unusual and it is godly and God-affirming, and we want to give God glory with every bit of our effort with the Prophecy in the News magazine. 
And our person who takes care of everything at the magazine, makes sure things are done right, puts it together, does a lot of the writing and the research. She's so involved in it. If we asked, what do you do? She says everything. So she's right. She does. And so, Lise, we thank you for coming and being with us. This magazine is an unusual product. Prophecy in the News is unique in its style and is continuing. It's been going, what, about 40 years or more? Right around 40 years. Yeah, and here it is, and it's being sent out around the world by digital and by print. And so we're excited about that. Tell us about what's coming up. It's a very thoughtful issue in that we've actually taken a look at something that has become sort of a, I don't want to call it a buzzword, but a concern, especially in America, but it's probably worldwide. And that's something called rapture anxiety. There are folks out there, especially younger people, who grew up Christian and maybe are not now so much, and they're frightened. And Josh Davis wrote an article, and and by golly, he's in the room with us, based on an article from CNN. So, Josh, can you tell us a little bit about that article and why we wanted to look at that? Absolutely. There was a new catchphrase that was trending among people who deny the rapture, and they're calling it this rapture anxiety. But when you look at the passages of Scripture, like 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, which describes the rapture, it tells us in the very last verse, verse 18, to comfort one another with these words. In other words, the rapture was never meant to produce anxiety. Rather, it was supposed to do the exact opposite. It was supposed to bring Mm -hmm. comfort and hope to people instead of the feelings of anxiety. And the rapture anxiety is basically people who grew up in religious households believing in the rapture. They've since either left the faith or changed their views, and now they are coming out of the woodwork to describe the feelings, the anxiety that they endured during their childhood and even still into adulthood. Some of them say they get these pangs and they get these sensations that I'm going to be left behind and I don't know what's going to happen to me. It's really a fear-based way of living their lives. Can you tell us just a little bit about how we as Christians should respond to people who are afraid of the rapture? There's a number of cures for rapture anxiety, and the article speaks about that. At its base and at its core, there is a real misunderstanding of the gospel Mm -hmm. in rapture anxiety. And that's really the core issue that I see that creates this, because a lot of people talked about, did I say the sinner's prayer the right way? Did I use the proper words when I said the sinner's prayer so that I know that God has accepted me? And so there's a real feeling of unacceptance and that they don't feel like God really cares for them. God really has loved them. God has really saved them. So that's why I say at its core, it's a misunderstanding of the good news of Jesus Christ. We don't have a fear-based faith. We have a love-based relationship with Jesus Christ. And at its core, that's the issue around rapture anxiety. I think that that's important for folks to realize it is 
based upon a lack of understanding of the grace of God. And we have, in this issue of Prophecy in the News magazine, we've got an article by Dr. Ken Copley. He is, has long been a counselor, and he calls it a warfare counselor or a battle counselor because he has advised and counseled so many people who are dealing with spiritual warfare. And there is so much of that going on in our country, in our world right now, where Satan is roaming and he is so busy. And he is, as Dr. Copley calls it, he is the great deceiver. And this article is, I'm calling it The Mind of America, is an offshoot of Copley's book, The Great Deceiver. It seems that when we listen to people speak publicly, we don't get much insight into what they're thinking. We don't hear anything that would cause us to go, oh, people are considering this issue or that issue. But when you listen to them privately, we're starting to find the problems that people are carrying around in their own mind. This thing of rapture anxiety is nothing new, in my opinion, from mm-hmm. what I've seen. And I think Josh has written it up just properly. And I think it's a, it's a good thing that we get it out and air it. But I think that anxiety concerning the rapture has been a long-time problem for folks who didn't understand the very truth of salvation or didn't understand the rapture concept at all and when that happens. And so for us to take that on and for Josh to take it on as a young man and to bring it forth, I see this as something very important, enough for us to make people aware that we actually have an article dealing with that. In fact, we have more than one article dealing with these things. And we have put together a magazine that talks about what do you do if you miss the rapture? What is there going on? We've got a magazine, this issue, chock full of good things to help people understand what's going on in the mind of Christians and non-Christians throughout the world, and it's an amazing issue. Lise, thank you very much. We want to remind folks that they can buy the copies individually. You can get it by the year, by three years, or by five years, or by lifetime. Josh, thanks for joining us today and giving us some insight into rapture anxiety And there's a lot to be seen in this issue. This issue is chock full of information for all who have an interest in things prophetic. The Prophecy in the News magazine, keep looking up. Today's featured resource is Rob Linstead's excellent book, The Power of the Cross. In this powerful book, Dr. Linstead pours through the Word of God and teaches the details of the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Order copies for you, your church, your family and friends. The Power of the Cross. 
1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. You can also order online, swrc.com. Don't miss a moment of Watchmen on the Wall. Download our SWRC mobile app or subscribe to our daily Watchmen on the Wall podcast. Watchmen on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and is supported by faithful listeners just like you. Please visit swrc.com. That's swrc.com.